Um, we're, we're in Mark chapter 6, and we are in uh, the Gospel of Mark's telling of Jesus going back to visit his home synagogue back in his hometown, kind of a homecoming for Jesus. Uh, and we've talked about the, the passage in Luke where Jesus has done that. Mark tells a different story. Um, neither one of them is great, though, for Jesus. And so uh, I want to talk about it, and I wanna, tonight I want to give you um, three reasons to just like Jesus. Uh, so let's, let's talk about those things, and then we'll, uh, we'll hopefully uh, learn a little something. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, it says this, Jesus left the place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Quote, where, where, did, the man, where did this man get all this? What's this wisdom he's been given? What about the powerful acts accomplished through him? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. Jesus said to them, Prophets are honored everywhere except their own hometowns, among their relatives and in their own households. He was unable to do any miracles there except that he placed his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was appalled by their disbelief. <laughs> it's a very positive story. They're repulsed by Jesus. He's appalled by their disbelief. It's really, it's, it's good stuff. And again, tonight's story is about the worst kind of homecoming, right? Jesus comes back to his hometown uh, and he's uh, teaching in the synagogue and he's performing these signs and he gets less than a warm reception from everyone. Now, in fairness, this is still better than what happens in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, he teaches in the synagogue. He reads some verses out of Isaiah. He then intentionally offends the people that he's talking to, and they try to kill him. So Mark's Gospel, they're only repulsed, whereas in Luke, uh, they're homicidal. Neither is good, but if you had to choose one for your 10-year reunion, I imagine you'd choose repulsed over homicidal, right? So, so we're going in the right direction, at least here in Luke. Or in Mark. But Mark also leaves us with a bigger question because in Luke, it's really obvious why they get mad at Jesus. Jesus tells them of scripture and then he tells them, I know that you're going to say, start here, physician, heal thyself. And then he goes on to reference two stories in the Old Testament where God is nicer to Gentiles than he is to Jews. And basically what he's saying, I know you want us to start here but maybe this blessing is for people outside the circle. I mean, he really just kind of throws it in their face a little bit, and, uh, and they're not real happy with him, and that's why they have him, try to have him killed. But here in Mark, we are left with a big question. Why are they so repulsed? That's a strong word, repulsed by Jesus. I mean, the text says all he does is he showed up, he taught. They were surprised by his wisdom and his powerful acts, they know him, and they talk about his job, and name out his family, and they're repulsed. It seems like a big jump to repulsion there, right? But I want to talk about a couple things that might help explain why they reacted the way they did. And, uh, and tonight, again, I want to talk to you about three things that make Jesus not very likable in this story, and I would argue still hold true for us today. The first reason Jesus disliked here, I think, is he has a total disrespect for how we order society. Who people are, where they belong, what they should be doing, right? 
Now notice, notice a couple things that happen here. Uh, they start naming all of Jesus' family because they know him. When, they, when it's his hometown, it's not a very big place, right? Everyone knows each other. They name everyone in his family except one name is missing. Did you notice which name was missing? Joseph. Joseph was never mentioned. There's no dad talked about at all, which is kind of striking in this culture, right? And, and not only do they not talk about his father or specifically leave out uh, any kind of a parent, uh, father figure there, but they also specifically mention Jesus' vocation, which is translated in most scriptures as carpenter. It's tecton is the Greek word there. It could just mean a general craftsman, kind of blue-collar, fix-it kind of guy, or more so than like a specialized woodworker, who knows. But not high-class, blue-collar person, you know. And between these two things, you find that the crowd is bewildered and offended that some common worker with no dad is supposing to tell them what to do. Because society has an order to things. Everyone has their place. Works the same way for us today. We have people that are considered qualified and unqualified, valued and not valued, right? Some people get to have some authority, other people do not. And Jesus is not one of those guys. He's a normal blue-collar kind of worker who apparently isn't even doing that job anymore. He has very questionable lineage. The fact that they don't name Joseph indicates that they know that even if Joseph was still around someplace, which he may not have been at that point, they know that's not his dad. And the chances are most of the people in town are sitting around and whispering about Jesus being the son of the almighty God, creator of all things. It was probably a lot more scandalous than that, right? So you have someone with an unsuccessful career, questionable lineage. This is the guy you maybe call because you feel bad for him to come and fix the wobbly table in your house or whatever tectons did back then. This is not the person that gets to tell me about God. It's not the person that gets to inform me about the Almighty or tell me how I should live my life. Right? So one of the first things kind of hidden in the culture of this text is that idea of you got to know your place, and Jesus doesn't seem to. So Jesus has no, there's no respecter of how culture is, how that society is ordered. And the second reason to dislike Jesus is he has a total lack of regard for the cultural norms of the time. It's a little weird here to mark that everyone in Jesus' whole family, again, except for the father, gets named until you consider the culture and what is going on here when Jesus just shows up as an itinerant, wandering rabbi. So in Jesus' culture at the time, if there is no father around, and Jesus is the oldest son, then there are some specific expectations on him. After all, his mother is still alive, and someone needs to care for her. Women didn't just go out and get their own jobs and take care of themselves. The father took care, the husband took care, and then the oldest son when the husband wasn't there. Mary is still there. Mary needs someone to take care of her. He's got younger brothers that are still around and need someone to mentor them and teach them the craft and, 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 and help them to grow into their positions in the world. He's got younger sisters. And younger sisters, until they're married, are the responsibility of the oldest brother. He's got to care for them, help them find their own prospects and their own families in the world. The subtext of naming everybody that's standing there or that they know 
that Jesus is not taking care of, the subtext of that is a lot of shame being piled on Jesus right there. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't this Mary's son? Mary with no husband? Wait, doesn't he have younger brothers that are still... Doesn't he have sisters that need him taking care of him right now? Isn't this that Jesus? Jesus is a bad son and brother. He is not fulfilling what he is supposed to be doing. That culture is set up in a very certain way and there are expectations on Jesus and he is failing all the tests that have been established by the culture he is in. Now, sitting here tonight in 2021, America, we might say things like, yeah, but you know, Mary was visited by an angel. She knows Jesus is special and has a unique calling. And you know, he's got brothers and uh, they're not the Messiah, so they can go on doing the whole tecton thing and take care of the younger sisters and everyone that's involved. And yes, that may be very good and true. That may be the way we look at it. But that's not how things were done. What Jesus is doing, or rather not doing, is shameful in that culture. And while it may not make as much sense to us, or it may not be as offensive to us today, the truth is this is kind of common of humanity, right? We as human beings are open to a lot of things. But it is hard for us to abide choices that violate how things are done. That's just not how things are done. How we've always done it is a very powerful force, right? Just think about all the things that, that otherwise reasonable people have accepted as good, normal, and right only because it's the way we've always done it. Obviously, we should have separate pools for people with different skin color. Obviously. Obviously, women can't be trusted to vote for something as important as president. Right? Obviously, kids would make great factory workers. You know, obviously, pickles should be randomly placed next to unsuspecting diner sandwiches and allowed to sully them unannounced. It's possible that some of those examples are more egregious than others. I'm open to Lillian getting a job at this point. But the point is that Jesus was not doing the things that you just had to do. He was not doing the things that were expected of him. He was not doing things the way good people did because that's what you do. And that was a problem. Jesus doesn't know his place and Jesus isn't doing things the way he should be doing them. And you may be able to get away with that in a lot of places, but the place you can't get away with it is your hometown. Right? And that's the third thing. The third reason dislike Jesus, and, and I'd say this maybe uh, overarches the other two or kind of absorbs them. The third reason to dislike Jesus is his tendency to violate what was already known to be true about him. I really think this is actually the largest kind of factor in their repulsion towards Jesus. And that factor was over-familiarity. They knew Jesus back when. Over-familiarity is almost impossible to get past, right? No matter how famous or important or impressive a person gets, there are some people who knew them back then and will never get over that. Someone is still going to call them by their embarrassing nickname. Someone's still going to bring up that story that they wish no one knew about. There's still going to be that one guy that grabs them, puts them in a headlock, and gives them a noogie. 
even though he's the President of the United States. Right, if you, or maybe, I don't know, if you've ever been good friends with someone who later became famous or revered, you know the struggle that comes with that, right? It's hard to see that person in any other way than you have always known them. One of my worst nightmares of, of preaching a sermon would be me up here preaching and all the kids from my neighborhood where I grew up walking in the back door and sitting right up in the front. Even if I was just nailing a masterful sermon, they would just be laughing. And I know they would be laughing, because I would be laughing at them. I don't think they could take me seriously, and I don't think I could blame them. They were there when I got a bean stuck in my nose because I was trying to shoot it across the room. They watched me cry as my mom pried it out with tweezers. It's hard to hear a sermon from a man who gets a bean stuck in his own nose especially in those this large. Over-familiarity creates this kind of glass ceiling that one cannot get past. Once I know who you are, I've got you figured out, there's only so much you can do. You can't really surprise me, right? It's this kind of glass ceiling or this governor on how far and how fast we can go in someone else's eyes. I think his hometown is repulsed by someone they know too well. Someone who doesn't do the things that they, the way they think he should. Someone who is violating the social norms. I think those are three good reasons they dislike Jesus. And I think we could argue that all three of these reasons that Jesus is problematic in, in his home synagogue hold true for us today. They're barriers even still. I am deeply convinced that Jesus still stands in contrast to our social orders. That Jesus still stands in contrast to business as usual and the way we've always done life. That Jesus still stands in contrast to what we already know about God. Social norms, social orders, over-familiarity, they all still serve as barriers to Christ. All of these things conflate together to muddy, uh, to muddy our understanding of God and to be offended when he challenges our practices and ways of living, right? And they can re- create the same kind of visceral reaction that Jesus experienced in his own hometown. I'm tempted to list like 50 examples of this, especially when there are other people's problems. But the truth is, I have this kind of reaction to Jesus all the time. Jesus consistently challenges my assumptions. Anytime I care to really pause, take a look, open my heart and my mind to him, and care to really try to follow him, if, I'm suspect of anyone who's not offended by Jesus. I knew about the social order of things. I knew where I fit in the world. Sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad. I knew where I fit in the world. I knew my place. Until I got to know some homeless folks. Some people that I knew were below me on the ladder. Some people I knew that I had nothing to learn from and who really could learn a lot from me. And I met Jesus through them. And they spoke faith into my life. 
until I was called to get up in front of people and talk, which is not something I ever cared or wanted or felt like I should be able to do. I knew what my role was as a good son, and I knew my role was as a father or a husband, uh, and I knew how I was supposed to provide for myself and my family and contribute to community until I felt God call me to quit a job with nothing else to go to. I grew up in, in a church where they taught me exactly who God was, the, the few points I needed to know to, to explain all of God and God's history and what God does in the world. I had God figured out until I didn't. I'm constantly offended by Jesus. I don't like what he has to say about my enemies. I don't like what he has to say about me. I can't take Jesus seriously and not be a little offended. It might be fair to say that if Jesus does not at least occasionally offend or repulse you, you may not be paying attention. Because as soon as we have the world figured out, as soon as we know exactly how it should be organized and who fits where and what place on the ladder of the world, Jesus comes and tells us the first will be last and the last will be first. And as soon as we've established how things have always been done and should always be done, Jesus will say something like, well, you've heard it said, but I say... And as soon as we have God figured out and how God will act and how God will win for us, Jesus will come and die on a cross and forgive those who put him there and ask us to do the same. Jesus is not the God we want or we think we know. Thank God. Jesus is the God we need. And there's nothing easy about that. So at the end of the day, I don't blame Jesus' old neighbors and old friends for the way they reacted. It's precisely the way Jesus should be making us feel half the time about all the things that we've built and we've blessed and we've accepted. I don't blame them because all they did was take him seriously. And I'm not sure many of us do that all the time. May we be a people who listen closely enough to be offended by Christ. Let's pray. God, we confess that um, it is more comfortable to think that we've somehow developed the decoder ring that we know exactly how the world shakes out, that we know exactly how the world should work, that we know exactly who you are and what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, what you're going to ask of us and what you will never ask of us. God, it is a lot more comfortable to be overly familiar. But God, we also know that that is a path of... um, religion, but it is not a path to the living God. Lord, we ask that we look closely enough at what you taught, that we gaze deeply at the way you lived, that we listen carefully to what you tell us even now. 
and that, Lord, you might disturb what we have set up. Because the truth is, what we have set up is not working. And we don't need the God we want. We need you. Lord, offend us when we need to be offended. Disturb us when we need to be disturbed. Help us to see things in a new way so that we might help you build a new world. We love you and we ask all things in your name. Amen.